Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. Amen. Thank you, Gil. Thank you for leading us today in worship. Such a good job all the time. Um, I'm a Mel Gibson fan. I, I like Mel Gibson. like some of his movies. I don't like all of them, but I like some of his movies and uh, the Patriot, and We Were Soldiers, and Braveheart, and some of those movies that he came out with. And, you know, and he also uh, was the producer, director of uh, the Passion of the Christ movie. And then, you know, after after he produced that movie, uh, you know, it, it's pretty common knowledge that Mel really kind of went into a, ta- a tailspin. He 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 made some difficult choices with his life, and and you know, I have to. I've often wondered if maybe. The enemy just targeted him after he released that movie, and he just uh, the enemy just uh, devastated him. I, I don't know. It's been tragic to see that he really hadn't recovered from it. I don't think. But anyway, think about some of those movies, and and uh, uh, the movie Braveheart is the story of William Wallace, and it's uh, it's loosely historical. Uh, you know, William Wallace was a real historical figure, and really did fight for the. Uh, freedom of Scotland and things like that, but uh, Braveheart certainly takes some uh, some Hollywood liberties uh, with some things and things like that. But uh, there is a there's a there's a, a a scene at the end of the movie, and don't necessarily recommend the movie. Uh, it's just pretty gruesome. It's got some got some uh, graphic stuff in there just because of the war stuff and the fighting and things like that. But um, there's a there's a scene at the end where. William Wallace is actually being executed, which actually did happen at the hands of King Edward I of England, and he actually was executed. And there's a there's a the scene there at the end of the movie where that's about to happen to William Wallace, and um, uh, and right at the end of his life, before they they execute him, he he his last breath was one word that he screamed out as the crowd had gathered and as some of his men that had fought with him were in the crowd watching this terrible moment happening and losing their leader and that type of thing. And this word just kind of burst forth from him right before he was executed. And the word is freedom. He just screams the word freedom. And and then he's executed. And, uh, you know, Hollywood took some liberties with that. There's no historical evidence that William Wallace screamed freedom, hollered freedom at the end of his life. But but the point was being made that that was what that whole movie was about. The whole movie was built around their pursuit of freedom, their fighting for freedom, and, and that type of thing. That's what the entire movie was built around. And, you know, we Americans value our freedom. We, we do. This isn't a Fourth of July sermon. It's not a Memorial Day or a Veterans Day sermon, but... Uh, we do value our freedom, and and uh, it's we we are the the land of the free and the home of the brave. And you know, while the Braves are still winning the World Series, I mean, they've been uh, they they they're winning, you know. And so somebody sings that at the beginning of the game, and and that type of thing. And we have uh, have uh, young people that sing it at Tri County before the beginning of the football games and things like that. So we we believe in that, man. It just it gets us sometimes. I've told you before, I can't sing the national anthem. I can't ever get through it. I, I get a big old lump in my throat before I get to the end of it. I just, uh, you know, it just something happens inside of him. My father-in-law was a uh, Army Reserve chaplain for 24 years, and man, he was he was all about 
patriotism. I got an American flag that's, that's flying on the front of my house. It's, it flies nearly every day. Now, there are times that it is replaced by a Mississippi State flag, but some of you probably would really take issue with me replacing the Stars and Stripes with a rag like that, you know, but... Uh, but uh, most of the time, man, American flags fly in the front of my house. And my father-in-law was serious about flag etiquette. My flag is an, is an all-weather flag, so we can fly in inclement weather. It's illuminated at night. I understand those times. You know, I try to do it the right way. And, and, uh, and you know, I understand that. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of us. Lot, there's many of us, certainly not all of us, and, and a growing number of people who don't understand. But many of us do understand the price that was paid for the freedoms uh, that we enjoy. I have great respect for those who have served in armed forces and things like that. And one of my re- one of my regrets in life is that I didn't follow in my father-in-law's footsteps and go into the Army Reserve or one branch of the military as a as a reserve chaplain or a National Guard chaplain or something like that. The Lord just didn't open that door for me. But unfortunately, there is a growing number of people in our nation who do not understand our freedom. They don't under they don't value our freedom. They don't understand the price that was paid. They don't want to understand the price paid and take it even further. They want to take our freedoms away in our nation today. There are words that are being used in conversations on a national level now that are words that we, I'm 57 years old and I would have never dreamed uh, that these words would even be used as, as possible directions that our nation would take. Words like socialism, and Marxism and communism. But those words, those terms would even be mentioned as a real possibility of the way that our nation may be governed one day. I mean, we fought against those things. Literally, our nation has fought against those things. And yet those isms are being put forth as possible ways for our nation to move forward and be governed. And it's disturbing to think about that, to say the least. Uh, more and more people are leaning that direction in our nation now. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a disturbing trend. And it's disturbing and, and somewhat unsettling for, for all of us. And, and, you know, for those of us that are uh, you know, further along in our lives age-wise, I put myself in that category, that we're further along in our lives than, you know, as our nation continues to go that direction. And if it eventually does go that direction, we hope it doesn't. But certainly, man, the way that things are looking right now, you sure have to wonder. And so we'll all feel the impact of it. We'll all feel the results of it. But certainly we are more concerned for our our children and their children, our grandchildren. And we're more concerned about future generations having to deal with what would be the fallout of this if our nation truly does go that direction. And it's going to impact everything. I mean, already seeing, I believe, some of the impacts of that uh, economically. Uh, we begin to see that. It's a, it, it, uh, it, socialism erodes free speech. It erodes the free exercise of religion. It lays the groundwork for a, a, a one-world religion uh, to come, a one-world government to come forth one day. And... So we see, hear those things. We go, man, there's no way. There's no way. Man, we're smarter than that. There's no way. No way we'd do that. Forty percent of Americans now have a favorable view of socialism. 
47% of millennials, the younger generation, and 49% of the Generation Z, the younger generation. Almost half of them have a favorable view of socialism. 60, uh, 2019 poll, according to Dr. David Jeremiah, 2019 poll uh, shows that 61% of Americans age 18 through 24 have a positive view of socialism, believe it'd be a good thing. 61%, they're voting age now, y'all. 61%. Our nation is in deep trouble. No doubt about that. You know, Dante mentioned it as he encourages us in his exciting, impassioned way to be, be people of prayer. And certainly we need to be. The church needs to be praying. If my people is what God says, not those people. God's talking to us. And he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, not them out there, those of us in here, that we would humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and that we would turn from our wicked ways. It's time for judgment to begin with the house of God and for God's people to get right with him. And if we will repent, then God will hear us and he will answer our prayers and he'll forgive our sins and he'll heal our land. If we will do that, God, he's not talking about them, he's talking about us. And our nation is in deep, deep trouble. And, the, and part of the problem, part of the problem, part of the trouble is because the church has not been the church that we're supposed to be. And we've cloistered ourselves inside of these walls instead of getting out there and getting dirty with the world and trying to reach the world with the gospel, the life-changing good news of Jesus. But we'd rather stay here with us because it's, it's a, a whole lot more comfortable and, and pleasing to be hanging out with each other here than it is to be out there. But man, our nation is in deep, deep trouble as our freedoms get more and more twisted. Just last week, a, a group of elementary age school children, elementary age school children, was taken on a field trip to a gay bar in Florida. Load the bus up. Let's take the kids to the gay bar. One of the school board members in, in Florida accompanied them and posted on her social media account how wonderful it was to be able to go and take the kids. Last week, the United States State Department issued the first passport, the first passport with an X gender marker for people who deny being male or female. In other words, when you, when you go apply for a passport now, you don't have to say whether you're male or female. You don't have to say either one. You can just say, I'm neither. And they'll put an X in that part and you get your passport. There was a boy who wore a skirt to a, into a girl's bathroom in a school in Virginia. And the reason he did that is because that, school, that school's policy is that a, a student can use whichever bathroom based on the gender that they consider themselves to be. So if a boy considers himself to be a girl or says he's a girl, he can go in the girl's bathroom. So this, that's what that boy did put a skirt on and went in the girl's bathroom because he told him he thought he was a girl and went into the bathroom and raped a girl in the bathroom. Because the school said, it's okay, you can go in whatever bathroom you want to go into. Y'all, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. We're seeing right in front of us every day. You could grab your iPhone right now and go to whatever news app you've got on your phone. And within five seconds, you could see evidence of 2 Timothy 3.1 right there on your phone. What does 2 Timothy 3.1 say? 2 Timothy 3.1 says, but understand this, understand this, that in the last days, dangerous times of great stress and trouble will come. Difficult days that will be hard to bear. That's where we are. 
That's where we are. Our national freedom is under assault on multiple fronts. And if our nation does not change course, if our nation does not change course, we will see our freedoms taken away more and more and more in the days to come. It's going to happen. If we don't change course, if our nation doesn't change course, you know it's the truth. I know it's the truth. You hate I'm saying it. I hate to have to say it, but it's the truth. But I want to tell you something else, my friends. There is a freedom that can never be taken away from us, and that is the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That freedom can never be taken away. Because let me tell you something. This freedom does not come from the Oval Office. This freedom comes from the throne room of heaven. This freedom doesn't come from the president. It comes from the king of kings and the Lord of lords. This freedom does not come from man-made laws. It comes from the unchanging eternal word of God. This freedom does not come by men fighting against each other. It comes from the one who has fought against and defeated Satan for all eternity. This freedom does not change based on which political party is in power. This freedom is unchanging changing because it is based on the grace of God, the power of God, and the truth of God. That's the freedom that Christ brings for us. That's the freedom that we have in Christ. As we continue thinking about keeping our eyes on Jesus, we've been in this sermon series for a few weeks now, just drawing into the gospel of John and thinking about Jesus. I want to tell you that Jesus is the one who brings us freedom. Grab your Bibles or a pew Bible and turn to John 8, 31 through 36. It's page 894 in the pew Bible. If you need a copy of God's Word, grab that one. If you need a Bible, you keep that Bible. We'd love for you to have it. But John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36 is where we're going to focus our attention this morning. Would you stand, please, for the reading of God's Word? So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed Him, If you abide in My Word... You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Well, Jesus answered them, verse 34, and he said, Truly, truly, King James, verily, verily, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Let's pray. Father, help us now by the power of your spirit to hear from you and to respond in obedience as you set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. So we're moving forward into the life of Jesus. That's what we're doing as we think about keeping our eyes on Jesus. So we're in John chapter 8. We're kind of, let's think about where we are. Let's think about where Jesus is right now. Jesus began his earthly ministry at about the age of 30. He was crucified on the cross around the age of 33. His, his earthly ministry lasted about three years or so. And so, where, and so we think about where, where we are. We're moving, some, as we thought about and saw last week, some people at this point in Jesus' life and ministry, some people have already decided, I'm not following him anymore. I'm not going with him any farther. I'm, not, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Some people have already decided to do that. We've seen that. In John, in John chapter 7, verse 1, we see that opposition from the religious leaders was beginning to grow. Even if you look at John 7, 1, you'll see there's a part of that verse that says the Jews were seeking to kill him. 
They'd already started that process. They'd already started, we got to shut this guy up. We got to stop him. His popularity is growing. His teachings are becoming more prominent. Uh, he's drawing people away from us. We got to stop this guy. We need to silence him. So we got to figure out a way that we can kill him. We got to figure out a way to get him on a cross. They're looking for ways to kill him. That's what's going on. Uh, Jesus, as you keep on thinking about this and keep looking, you'll see that in chapter, uh, John chapter 7, verse 12, you'll see that he was accused of leading people astray, verse 12, and there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading people astray. So division, opposition, people saying he's leading folks astray. Chapter 7, verse 20, you see there the crowd said, you have a demon. They were accusing him of being demon-possessed. Um, the people were divided over who he was with some believing in him. John chapter 7, verse 31, you see there, yet many of the people believed in him. Some people believed in him, and then there were people that were divided and arguing over his lineage. Chapter 7, verse 40 and following, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said this is the Christ. But some said, man, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and from, the, from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. So see, that's what's going on in Jesus' life right now. Opposition, falling away. People looking for ways to kill him. Folks want to arrest him. You're demon-possessed. You're dividing people. You're, this is stupid teaching that you're giving us, all this kind of stuff. That's what happens when Jesus is moving and working. It happens even in our day when Jesus is working. When people's lives are getting changed, it gets messy. Y'all, it gets messy. And we don't like messy. But it is. When Jesus changes people's lives, when he comes into people's lives, it changes things. It turns, the, turns things upside down. And with all of this opposition and all of these things going on in Jesus' life, it didn't stop Jesus. He kept right on preaching. He kept right on teaching. He kept right on reaching. And the people that he was reaching were the outcasts. They were the rejects. They were the, 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 the sinners. <laughs> I mean, people steeped in sin, people caught up in sin, people trapped in sin, people living in sin. Those are the people he reached out to. John chapter 8, first part of that chapter is that story of the lady that was, the woman that was caught in adultery. Remember that? There's a whole lot to that story we don't know. How'd those guys catch her? How'd those religious leaders catch her? How'd they do that? Was that a planned thing? Was that a trap that they set up for her? Who was the guy that was having adultery? Where was he? Why didn't they drag him up there too when they dragged her in front of Jesus? So, about so many things you just don't you just have to wonder. But they dragged her out there and brought her up in front of Jesus. Said the law says we're supposed to stone her. She was caught in adultery. What do you say? You know what Jesus did, man. He stooped down, started writing in the stand in the sand. Maybe writing the names of the guys who were standing there. Maybe writing the name of the guy that was had committed adultery. Oh, we don't know. But then he said, hey, whoever's without sin, you be the first one to cast the stone. You throw the first stone. If you ain't got sin in your life, you be the first one to throw the stone. And you know what happened? They dropped the stones. They walked off. Jesus said, where are, your where are those who condemn you? Neither do I condemn you. You go and sin no more. Jesus was still reaching out to people. He was still finding people that were lost in sin and touching them and changing their lives and setting them free. 
In chapter 8, you have one of his I am statements. Remember, there were seven of those statements. And all th- here's the cool thing about the I'm going to walk through those statements real quickly here. But every one of them is a statement of freedom. I'm the light of the world, he said in John 8, 12. I'm the light of the world. In other words, I will set you free from the darkness of sin. Everywhere you see darkness in Scripture, it refers to sin. It refers to the oppressive cloak of sin that comes over us. And Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. I will set you free from that darkness. He said in John, uh, John 6, 35 that we saw last week, he said, I'm the bread of life. Remember, he fed 5,000 bread, fish, and then he turned around and said, hey, look, we fed people here, but look, I'm the bread of life. I'll set you free from spiritual hunger. You'll never be spiritually hungry again if you follow me. I'll set you free. He said in John chapter 10, verse 9, he said, I'm the door. I'm the door. If you will follow me, if you will enter through me, I'm the door. I'll set you free. From eternal death, I'll give you eternal life. John chapter 10, verse 11, he said, I'm the good shepherd. If you'll follow me, I will set you free from spiritual wandering. You won't wander around like a, like a dumb sheep, man. I will set you free from spiritual wandering. I'll set you free from the attacks of the enemy. John chapter 11, verse 25, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. If you'll follow me, I will set you free from the fear of death and hell. I am the resurrection. I am the life. John chapter 14, verse 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, he says, I will set you free from your spiritual confusion that leads to spiritual death. In John chapter chapter 15, verse 5, he said, I am the true vine. And if you'll follow me, I will set you free from a barren, fruitless life. I'll give you life that comes from the vine. I'm the true vine. You'll bear fruit if you follow me. Jesus sets us free, and the application for our message today is that knowing Jesus is the only way we can be truly free. Knowing Jesus is the only way we can be truly free. So you go back to our passage in John chapter 8, verse 31 and following, and you see, first of all, the the process of freedom. The process of freedom, verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. The process of freedom. Most of us know that when we believe in Jesus for salvation, When we believe in Him, then we are set free from death and hell. Praise God for that. Had the privilege this past week to lead two people to faith in Christ. And those people were set free from death and hell. Uh, One of them, we had three professions of faith this morning in the refuge service. Three people that professed faith in Christ this morning in the refuge service. That's the reason to celebrate, church. Amen. Amen. So when you believe in Jesus, He sets you free. From the, from the fear and the, and the reality of death and hell. The, the, the word that we use is regeneration and justification. You are born again and God justifies you. He declares that you are no longer guilty of your sin. All your guilt, all of the punishment that was due you was poured out on Jesus and you are now set free when you believe in Jesus for salvation. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. 
The process of freedom is what we see there in verse 31 where Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. In other words, if you give your life to Christ at eight years old like I did, and next year I'll be 50 years next year, I'll be 58 next year. And hopefully somewhere between eight-year-old Johnny Daniels in Cleveland, Mississippi, to 58-year-old John Daniels here today, there is a difference in my life. Because of the process of freedom, if you will abide in my word, it's what Jesus said, if you will abide, if you, the word means if you will stay, if you will continue, if you will remain in my word. My word, my salvation, the true word of God. Why do we constantly encourage you to stay in the word of God? Why do I have you take your Bibles out and read them in scripture? Why do I want you to literally bring your Bible to church with you on Sunday? Because we need to be in the word. But it's not just enough to be in it at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, my friend. You need to be in it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday to abide, to continue to remain in the Word of God. And Jesus says, if you will do that, if you abide in my Word, then you are truly my disciples. You are proving to the world that you truly belong to the Lord Jesus. You're not doing it in a prideful way so people go, well, hey, look at me. Look, at, look how spiritual I am. But when you remain in the Word, you bear fruit and people can look at your life and go, you know, there's a difference in Him. The way He talks, the way He lives, the way He conducts His business, the way He uh, treats His wife, the way she uh, does things in the community, the way that she uh, loves her husband and takes care of her kids. And there's something different. And that difference is because you are abiding, remaining, continuing in the Word of God. And you're continuing to be set free. <laughs> it's the process of freedom. If you will truly, if you will, if you will remain in my Word, you'll truly be a disciple of mine. You won't be like one of those that we talked about last week. John chapter 6, verse 66. I think it's interesting that 666 is that verse where it says, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Is that going to be you? Chances are there will be some in this room that, will, that you'll be in that category. I'm done. I'm, just, I'm not going to keep doing this. We see it everywhere. It happens all the time. It breaks our heart. But if you will remain in His Word, if you'll abide in His Word, if you'll continue, if you'll stay in His Word, you'll show that you truly belong to Jesus, that you're truly His disciple. That's the process of freedom. Then there's the promise of freedom. Verse 32 is that statement that we hear a lot. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. You've heard it before, haven't you? You've heard it in places outside the church. You've heard it from people standing behind a podium at a political rally. You've heard of people saying it in, in, in academic settings. There are school buildings that have it plastered on the side of the school. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. In other words, if you'll know the truth of academic excellence and academic pursuit, then you will be set free in your mind to pursue all the things that the world has for you. That has absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus is talking about. This verse was not, this saying statement did not originate in academia. Didn't originate in a classroom. Has nothing to do with classroom instruction. Nothing wrong with pursuing a classroom, pursuing classroom instruction, and pursuing uh, advanced education, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an educated man. I'm, I believe in education. I encourage education. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's not what this verse is talking about. 
Jesus is saying, you, if you, you, who's the you? The you is the true disciples. If you remain in my word, you are truly my disciples and you, my true disciples, the ones who are really following me, you will know, you will know the truth. You will know the truth. You will hold to Jesus' teachings. You will be, you, you will hold on to Jesus himself because he is the truth. You'll know the truth. That's why at the beginning of this sermon series, I ask you one of the first questions I ask you, the first sermon of this sermon series. If you weren't here, let me tell you what I asked everybody. I said, are you an expert in Jesus? Would you consider yourself to be an expert when it comes to Jesus? Because I'm going to tell you something, my friends, there better be a difference between me when I was eight years old when I gave my life to Christ as a 58-year-old man who says I belong to Jesus. And that has nothing to do with my uh, advanced education. It has to do with whether or not I've been walking with Jesus. And you will know the truth. And the result of knowing the truth is that the truth will set you free. Not academic freedom, freedom, not political freedom, not freedom to live any way that you want to live, but freedom from the bondage of sin. What did Jesus say there in verse 34? Look at verse 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What are you enslaved to? What are you enslaved to? Sin enslaves. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 talks about that sin that so easily entangles us. One version of the Bible says that that sin that so easily besets us. What's your easily besetting sin? What is that sin that tangles you up over and over and over again? Jesus said, I'll set you free. If you'll walk with me, if you'll know me, I will set you free because sin enslaves us. Sin infects us. It's like a virus. It's like a cancer. It's like an open wound, a, a, a sore that is filled with pus and infection. Now that's what sin is. I know that's gross. Shouldn't say puss in a sermon, but I'm talking about sin. That's about that's not even close to being this graphic as ought to be when it talks about sin. The infection of sin, the, the, the injury that sin brings to our lives and to our loved ones and to our friends and to the church and to the body of Christ. Sin infiltrates every area of our life. It's like a cockroach that finds that little tiny opening. You think there's no way, and yet it finds that opening and squeezes its way into your home. And every one of us hate those things. We hate them, and they're nasty, and they're gross. And yet that's what sin does. If we leave one little crack open in our life, if, we're, if we've got a little crevice somewhere in our spiritual life, I'll tell you something, sin will find that crevice and will infiltrate your life and ultimately destroy your life. But the promise of freedom is that Jesus will set us free from that bondage. And the great thing is that it's a permanent freedom, the permanence of freedom. Verse 36, conclude with this. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, because let me tell you something, y'all, when, when Jesus sets us free, and only when Jesus sets us free, will we be free indeed. Will we be permanently free? Permanently 
free. We are free from the penalty of sin. Permanently free from the penalty of sin. You know Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is what? Say it. Death. That word means to be, that word isn't talking just about physical death. It's talking about being eternally, spiritually, forever separated from God. That is spiritual death. And the wages, the penalty of living a life of sin without Christ is that you will be paid the wage of eternal separation from God. That's the penalty. But Jesus sets us free from that penalty because the second part of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal. What? Life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. He sets us free permanently from the penalty of sin. You can know for sure today. You can know that you know that you know if you die today, that you're going straight into the presence of God for all eternity. And if you don't have that assurance today, then give your life to Jesus, my friend. Let him set you free from the penalty of sin. But you're also set free from the power, from the power of sin. The power of sin. That sin that easily entangles you. That sin that wraps you up all the time. That sin that enslaves you. Jesus says, I will set you free from that. I give you power over that. You don't have to give in to that sin. You don't have to live that way. Jesus said that you can be set free from that. Romans 6.14 says, sin will no longer be your master. So we don't have to give in to sin. I'm not talking about living a perfect life. You know that I'm not talking about that. That's not going to happen in this life. But you don't, you and I do not have to sin. It's a choice that we, it's not Jesus' fault if we sin. It's ours. But we're set free from the power of sin. And one day, praise God, one day we're going to be set free from the presence of sin. There will be a day that we'll never have to worry about sin anymore. Isn't that going to be a great day? Amen. One of these days. Be set free from the presence of sin. But until then, until then, we have the power to live a life of freedom that Jesus alone gives to us. So my question for you today and for me is, am I living a life of freedom? Am I living in the freedom that is mine through Christ? Number one, have you ever given your life to Jesus and been set free from the penalty of sin and received the gift of eternal life? If not, today is the day of salvation for you. Give your life to Jesus. For those of us that have, what's entangling us? What's wrapping us up? And somebody come forward in the refuge service and just ask me to pray for some struggles over depression and discouragement that are just wrapping them up. Jesus sets us free. Man, he sets us free. Come to Jesus today and be set free. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, would you help us now during these moments of invitation to hear from you and respond in obedience and be set free. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.